Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan, joined today by the whole crew, Brandon Piller and Chris Parliament, through 14 days without Ottawa Senators hockey. However, we do have some updates, including news on Shane Pinto, the draft lottery, and are the Sens favored for a Russian defenseman? All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Thursday, March 26th. Parliament, start with you, buddy. How you been passing time? Working, man. I don't know how I'm essential, but I am, and it's not fun. A lot more fun to be uh, sitting at a cottage like one Brandon Pillar. Yeah, you know, guys, I'm just enjoying the outdoors here, uh, going on some walks, uh, doing some yoga, trying to stay active, playing some old video games, prepping for some podcasts. So life's not too bad out here in Muskoka, that's for sure. Life was about to get exciting for the Ottawa Senators as the draft lottery was scheduled for April 9th. That, along with the draft and scouting combine, have all officially been postponed. Kind of seemed like it was inevitable from the beginning with the NHL still trying to finish their season in midsummer, And of course, you can't have the draft until the season finishes but that's pretty disappointing wouldn't you say Pilsy? it's beyond disappointing and i mean the fact that we were so close to getting this season done too i think is one of the most frustrating parts i mean a lot of teams have played between 68 and 71 games in an 82 game season you're you're a dozen or so games away from finishing this up and then you can start the playoffs the normal way you can do the draft lottery the normal way and then this isn't a problem but since that didn't happen and the season wasn't finished you have all these crazy scenarios being thrown out there and I don't know about you guys but if I hear another sniff or even chatter of the discussion about doing a tournament style uh, lottery uh, tournament for the remaining teams outside of the NHL playoffs to determine draft lottery odds I think I'm gonna riot they are they literally don't make any sense if you put it There's so many reasons. I'll start with the couple major ones that I have is, A, you're going to tell these players that they have to play balls to the wall four months after whenever it'll be uh, after not playing at all, and you want them to go so that your team gets a better player. And let me get this straight, a better player in the draft who may take your job sooner (laughs) rather than later. And then not to mention, what about all these teams who unloaded at the deadline? to be towards the worst. Their their lineup's going to be as depleted as possible. The Sens were a tough out earlier in the season when they had DeMello and Pajot, among others. And to take those guys out of the lineup, they would have been pretty important in this tournament-style situation. So, And then that doesn't even start a team like San Jose doesn't even have their own pick. What do they, what do, they do, forfeit? Yeah, I don't get it. It doesn't really make any sense at all to me in like battling... You want to play well now for a ba- a better player and a worse pick. I, like you're you're winning to lose. Like it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And you mentioned that like you'd unload at the deadline. That's what you do. And now you're kind of rewriting it because of this is how it's happening. Obviously, this was unprecedented and no one saw it coming. But you also can't um, you can't penalize teams for unloading and trying to get better because that's how rebuilds have worked forever in hockey. And I really don't think that the future of the franchise should be altered because of what 
is happening currently. Yeah, and Parley, I think the thing we need to realize here is the reason there's all these crazy, ludicrous uh, theories about how to settle the draft uh, lottery odds is because the draft lottery odds are completely hanging on the balance of how are they going to do the playoffs? Because there's talks there's going to be a 24-team playoff with shorter rounds, whether it's uh, best of three, best of five, uh, bye weeks, single game, uh, playoff series, whatever uh, way you want to do it. But if that's going to change how many teams make the playoffs and how many teams remain in the draft lottery uh, odds then the whole, the whole system of a tournament obviously wouldn't work. And it's going to change all the percentages, numbers of all these teams that aren't going to make the playoffs, whether we're doing it in a standard way, a standard 16-team playoff format or beyond. So I think really the draft lottery is just going to be stagnant until they figure out what they're going to do with this playoffs. Then they can decide how you're going to set up this draft lottery. But, I mean, I would just be so sour if finally the Sens rebuild right They got three first-round draft picks, four second-round picks, and then they get screwed over by uh, the league shutting down early and changing all the styles of how this works. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I just hope for the Senators' sake that they remain one of the top teams in favor to get the first overall draft pick. Well, it's going to be so funny looking in retrospect if that does happen on the, the basis that the season does not return because the Sens lost two huge games yep. right right before that that let Anaheim not only jump them, but San Jose. Same can be said for the LA game. Not even only them, but San Jose. So the Sens have the second and third best odds right now. You have to, you have to, have to assume that it, it can't change. They played 70 out of 82 games. If it was half or if it was 30, maybe... But you played so much of the season, I just can't, I can't foresee that situation arising. Especially if you want things to, I think that will alter a lot of things in the position, like not only players, but I think general managers would definitely not be happy with it. And that's what, like the next general managers meeting, I think the trickle down effect would just be too much to uh, make a decision that drastically, Ross. I have to agree with you because if you're going to make these moves that piss off all the general managers and owners like Eugene Melnick, well, you're just going to have more and more effects down the road. So I think you got to do your best to keep things status quo or else, I I mean, just don't rock the boat too much. Well, one of the biggest things in this whole situation too is that the uncertainty has not been cleared up at all like the the deaths are rising by the day the it seems like the apex isn't even here yet so it's it's almost like a rainy day people are just bored looking for darts to throw against the wall idea wise this whole idea came from uh craig constance on the uh the podcast there on the athletic where one gm told him or one executive told him i don't even think it was a gm so (laughs) let's play a game pilsy which team would that benefit the most? And if you tell me an answer that makes sense, I'll tell you that's probably who did it. Honestly, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying to. It's Lou Lamorello, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, true. Actually, that would definitely be uh, be the one, especially after handing over all those assets for JG Pajot and Andy Green. They gave up a second yep. pick for him as well. So I would be shocked if it was not Lou Lamorello, whose team happens to be just outside the playoff picture, based on points, just inside based on points percentage. And they haven't picked up a win in their last eight games. All that effect will have on the draft, but there's 
plenty of undrafted free agents that have been signing out of college. And now the KHL season is officially over. Artyom Zub, whose kind of name has been floating around since Darren Dreger announced in mid-December that Ottawa had been scouting him. Well, he's down to his final two teams. The other one is a mystery team, but one of them is the Ottawa Senators. Pilsy, I know you've done a little research on him. What does Mr. Zub bring to the lineup? Well, first off, great name. Gotta love it. Zub, Zub, however he's going to pronounce it. It's just fun. It's easy. It's a good defenseman name. Rolls quickly off the tongue. But 24-year-old right-hand shot defenseman, and he had a hell of a season uh, in the KHL. 13 goals and 22 points. But I think uh, there's a couple reasons why this works for the Senators and for uh, Zub. Uh, they got a good chance to land this guy, especially being one of the top two teams. But a thing that a lot of people are pointing to, and I think it's uh, it's the most important aspect, is there's a guy who's been through something very similar to Zub playing on the centers right now, and that's Nikita Zaitsev. He's a Russian player who spent many seasons in the KHL before coming over. So just having a guy who's from your country, speaks your language. He went through the same kind of journey that you did from the KHL to the NHL. I think that's going to help out a lot in uh, the process of moving over. And then you look at the hole on the right side of this uh, decor for the Senators, especially after Dylan DeMello was traded. This, from uh, what he's being described as, Zub sounds like a defensive uh, defenseman who can help out uh, kind of steady, maybe a guy like Willinen who's uh, playing with the puck a little more. Uh, just like DeMello was a great partner for Thomas Shabbat, a puck-playing defenseman who needed a stay-at-home uh, style defenseman. So only 24 years old, he's got over 200 KHL games and over 50 KHL playoff games. And, I mean, there's an asterisk beside it, but he did win gold in the Olympics with the OAR uh, in the last Olympics. So... This guy's got a lot of uh, good stuff. He's got a good pedigree, a good resume, and I think it make a lot of sense for the Sens to sign this guy as a buffer period between uh, when JBD and Lassie Thompson are NHL ready as uh, the up-and-coming right-hand shot guys. Was it a gold medal? Yep, they beat uh, Germany. I'll never oh. forget it. Germany did. They were on a power play, and one of the defensemen winds up for a clapper misses the net it rings around the boards russia comes back and scores ties it they go to overtime then well oar wins in overtime the germans had a chance to get an olympic ice hockey uh men's gold medal which would have been crazy but instead it's uh, a no country oar team that got the gold and zub was a part of that yeah i only asked because of uh i knew that germany had that run um it's it's kind of weird i just going through artem zub's uh Rookie season here in the KHL. Kind of crazy. He played on a team with Ilya Kovalchuk, Shipashov, Gusev, Datsuk. Wow. And Igor Seshchurk. And that is a loaded team. I was looking to see if he played with um, with Zaitsev in the, uh, in the KHL. But they did not both play on the team. I think one was Ska and one was Siska. I know that those are the two main, uh, main teams. So, yeah, Zub was on St. Petersburg, whereas... Zaitsev played on the team in Moscow. Parley, you know anything about this guy, or do you want to move on here? 
Yeah, I think it's just funny to note that, I mean, not even a full calendar year ago, we were uh, joking about the Senators, how they didn't have any Russians, and now they're the one named team in a list, a short list of two. And uh, I guess, it, yeah, it is just Nikita Zaitsev's effect. It's a weird trickle-down effect and uh, kind of the relationship side of the hockey business. So it's just interesting that the Senators have come from a team that had zero Russians and hadn't for so long. And then uh, now they're, they're in the lottery for one. So it's, it's funny, but I think it is interesting to note on the other hand as well, where 24 year old would fit into this sort of lineup. You know, you bring over a guy like Nikita Zaitsev and he's got the big contract, right? When he was brought over, he was the longest uh, tenure Senator for the first contract length. So if you bring over another guy, like you mentioned, you got a Lassie Thompson and a Jacob Bernard Docker right, right down the pipe there. So if you're if you're looking to sign him, it would be interesting to see the contract length, and I think that'll have a lot to do with where he ends up, at, whether it's the Senators or that other mystery team. Well, you're not going to hope at least that that he gets a Lou Lamorello style seven year contract, which is what <laughs> Zaitsev got. Uh, one more note on on Zub as well from Igor Aranko. He covers the KHL on Twitter, just saying that uh, he doesn't play on the power play. Because his playmaking abilities are not great, although he does have good vision. Great PK specialist, good skater, sound defensively. This year he started to pinch in a lot more and showed he has a shot. He was second in the league in goals scored between the defensemen with 13 goals. So maybe a little bit of offensive upside, but I would think of him more as a defensive-style defenseman. Um, yeah, he, I would say he's got a shot at making the team next year, right? You would think that he would want some sort of assurance if he if he does have many suitors that if he's coming to a team like Ottawa near the bottom of the standings that he would get a chance to play in the National Hockey League. Will he play in the NHL before Shane Pinto? Who knows? But Shane Pinto won the NCHC Rookie of the Year with North Dakota. Sense Prospects put up a great video of his season's work recently on YouTube. Make sure to check that out. And... What more can be said about the bean here? Just lights out all season long. And he's another guy that just, I mean, this young crop of players that are coming into the league, they look polished compared to what players used to be. And they, what I mean by that is they're good at what they should be good at. You know, they've mastered the things that'll make them great. I always go back to Brady Kachuk as a prime example. He comes in, he knows how to play the power forward position. He's just not... Uh, an offensive guy, you know what I mean? He knows how to go to the net. He knows what power moves will help him out. And I see Shane Pinto as a guy that understands what he does well and works to use those to his advantage on every shift. Like we uh, saw in the World Juniors, great at tipping the puck while he finds himself a spot in the high slot where a lot of guys would maybe go to the low slot and have to bang around with a defenseman down there. He gets himself open and I think he showed that uh, he's a bigger guy that's able to play that style of game as well. And it's it's exciting to see a guy win rookie of the year like that. And uh, yeah, these North Dakota kids that are a Senator's pro- property, uh, it'll be interesting to see when they're able to make that jump. But yeah, definitely exciting to see Shane Pinto and definitely deserve it of the NCHC rookie of the year. Yeah. And uh, Parley, just to kind of add on what you were saying about Pinto uh, finding his strengths and working on them really well. How about this guy in the face-off dot, eh, boys? Yeah. I mean, 61.1% winning success rate in the in his face-offs. I mean, that's second all-time at UND uh, since they began keeping the stats in 03 and 04. So this is a guy who he excels at a couple things, and that makes him very useful around the lineup. 
if you haven't already read it, there's a great article from the Grand Forks uh, Herald uh, where they talk about Pinto winning the Rookie of the Year award. And it's just interesting because they say he's not really a traditional penalty killer, but he's always out there on the penalty kill, taking the face off. And then as soon as they win the draw and then they clear the zone, he comes right to the bench. So he's getting on the PK. And Oham, he led the team with five power play goals too. So this is a guy who I think... Uh, combined with his face-off uh, winning ability and his ability to tip pucks, he's going to have a big edge over some of the other uh, Senators' centermen prospects in the system. I mean, just look at last season, guys. Pajot was their top face-off guy at 53.2%, and then Tierney was next at 512 And those two guys took majority of this team's face-offs, each with over 1,000. The next highest guy is Colin White, who took 580 but his winning percentage was below 50%. So obviously uh, face-offs in, at the college ranks are way different than in the NHL. So we're definitely going to see Pinto's uh, or even the AHL for that matter. We'll see Pinto's numbers regress a little bit next season, uh, regardless of whether he's in Belleville or Ottawa. But when you can win face-offs like that, you give your team such a better uh, chance to win with more puck possession every night. And Shane Pinto, if he signs, will get a nice signing bonus. But for now... He's just a college athlete. So for him and for you, I know you want to save money and you want to order in. So for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit. Yes, $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days to start your free deliveries. Download the app Postmates, the app, and use Locked On NBA. Okay, Locked On NBA is the code. Get you $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. That's Postmates for the first seven days. Now, the Sens would be in Boston tonight to play the Bruins, but that's not the kind of thing I want to remember. So let's talk about our favorite moment from this season for the Belleville Senators. Pilsy. Well, I'll start it off, boys. And this one's fairly recent. Uh, There was a lot of good moments uh, in the Belleville Center season, as uh, Ross and I can definitely attest to having been to uh, most of the home games this season, especially this is a team that, and it pains me to say, was on their way to a 2020 Calder Cup championship, at least a deep playoff run. But my favorite moment, they were at home against the Moose on February 22nd. It was a 5-4 OT win with Formanton getting the winner. And I just love this game because the Sens, they were, they're such an offensive team. Um, that goals were just getting scored left, right, and center by them, but also against them. They were down 3 nothing early, some bad bounces, basic goals, but then they score three straight. Then it's uh, they're down 4-3. Balsers ties it up with 34 seconds left, and then Alex Formanton in OT gets a step on his D-man, gets around him, takes a shot. The goalie stops it. It bounces up, and then as it lands, it lands back into the net, and that's the game. That's the winner, and this is at a time where Belleville was without their top two scorers. Batherson and Josh Norris were in the NHL. So the rest of the guys had to get it done, and Formanton shined there. And it was just an electric game. Uh, the, the crowd was starting to fill up as the centers got better and better throughout the year. The building got uh, more buzz around it. So that was just an all-time moment, and I love seeing Alex Formanton use his speed, uh, especially in clutch moments like OT. Yeah, that's good. Formanton had a couple overtime goals yep. this year, if I remember correctly. For me, and it's funny because obviously you and I did many a trip to Belleville together, but my favorite Belleville moment was from a road game that I got to watch. Oh. And it was 
in Toronto. So it was just down the road. I got cut from work early. So I was able to go down for four o'clock start and see Joey Decord's second AHL start after he uh, already had won the first one. But to go into Toronto, he made 34 saves on 35 shots. I got to sit right behind, got a great view of, of all his solid technical aspect we always talk about his dad being a goalie coach how he's just so advanced technically so I, I had a great view for it and, and Belleville ended up winning the game by a score of four to one there we got Eric Brantstrom on the board and I know he had a ton of points many of them were assists so kind of neat that Eric Brantstrom got the goal in that game and Joey Decord got the assist on Brandstrom's goal. We yep. know he loves playing the puck, so it was awesome that he got on the score sheet in only his second AHL game. A lot better than many prospects can say. They uh, put put up a goal, or a point rather, in the AHL. Batherson also getting on the board. Uh, it was just a great game all in all. Some some good work by, by the squad. And uh, yeah, even though they got outshot 35 to 18, they, they were able to kill off eight out of nine power plays in the game too. So Joey had a lot of work and a ton of of highlight real save. Yeah, Decord was definitely a, a fun a storyline to follow in Belleville all season long because it was it seemed like a pretty solid tandem down there. And you know, he was kind of the odd man left out, the newer guy to the organization, and he was it looked like he was kind of uh I don't know anchored is the right word, but to that Brampton lineup. But then when he came to Belleville, obviously took advantage of it. Pilsey, that was a good memory too. Alex Formanton for his 27th, but my favorite moment of the year was Josh Norris getting number 30. And I didn't know if it was going to happen because as you mentioned, Ross, or maybe it was you, Brandon, he'd spent some time in the NHL. You didn't know if they were just going to ride it out with him up there and then send him back down for the playoffs. I wasn't sure if he was going to get to 30. And then when he did, that just seemed like a great benchmark to hit in his rookie season. Just his dominance kind of uh, exemplified with that big-time number. Right now, sitting at 61 points, 31 goals, 30 assists. So just a big-time year in 56 games played for Josh. And I was just so happy for him to get to that number because you know that would have stung if he was stuck at 29. Yeah, yep. definitely. Tons of good memories there on the Belleville side. We had some other stuff up our sleeves, but you know what? We had so much fun talking about that, and it was nice to have a little real news with everything that's been going on with the draft and uh, at least speculating on when we might see it. So we did leave some hanging for you in the balance. Next time on the Locked On Senators podcast, you're going to hear from us our top five franchise goalies in Sens history, and we're going to compare some playoff runs and see which teams were most likable. That'll be next time, but that's it for us today. That's Chris Parliament. And Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. Talk to you soon.